fellow ag nerds. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week I get to sit down with the farmers, the founders, the innovators, the investors, and people shaping the future of agriculture. Some of my most popular episodes in 2020 were those that I actually brought on Jeanette Barnard to guest co-host and conduct the interviews. Uh, I don't know exactly what that says about me, but I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm going to (laughs) just dive right in with another one. We're bringing Jeanette back on the show. If you didn't catch those first two, though, they were episode 225, a masterclass in building a direct-to-consumer farm business, and episode 233, Walmart reinvents their beef supply chain. So as many of you have heard me say on those episodes, if you've listened, Jeanette is not only a friend, but also my go-to resource on everything that's happening with animal agriculture. She's a consultant with Rock Road Consulting and the author of the best email newsletter in all of animal ag, Prime Future. It's free and you can get it for yourself by getting on the list at primefuture.substack.com. Jeanette, you need your own spinoff podcast. I think I've told you this before because the audience cannot get enough of those first two episodes, and I think this one will be good. But maybe just share, you know, what mind-blowing story in animal agriculture innovation do you have for us here today? This is a fun one because it's a category of technology that I've heard about before, heard of a couple of companies. I kind of rolled my eyes at the concept thinking it was technology in search of a problem. But when I heard the founder uh, of Vents, When I heard Frank Wooten, the founder, describe the use case and the value proposition and the impact of a virtual fencing product for cattle ranchers, something clicked for me in terms of seeing the potential of what this type of technology could do. So today's interview is with Frank Wooten, the founder of Vents, which is a virtual fence product for the cattle industry. And so this is really interesting when you think about it in the context of the opportunities that it opens up for cattle ranchers. First of all, there's not a lot of technology that's coming that's specifically targeted at large cattle producers. And so it's interesting from that angle, but more importantly is about the problems that it could be solving for these producers, the optionality it can give them. Really, this is an enabling technology uh, for producers on a number of levels. So this interview with Frank, it, it was fun for me because Frank does a really good job articulating the value proposition of the technology and how it can make an impact for their customer base. Awesome. Uh, And when I hear virtual fence, I think about like dog invisible fences that make sure that they can't leave without an actual fence there. I mean, is it essentially the kind of the same concept? It is. It is. It's it's effectively the same concept, but you know, the product is designed with all of the constraints that we know for cattle producers of you're talking about a much larger surface area than just the backyard. You know, you're talking about places where cell coverage can be limited and you know, you could have everything from, you know, a lot of mountains or you know, a very hilly topography to, you know, very flat country. So, you know, and then you also have the weather dynamics that cattle are exposed too. So it's similar concept, but obviously uh, kind of the technology and the product on steroids, right? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I think where my mind goes first, my my skepticism would first go to like, okay, cattle ranching is like, you know, as old as dirt in, in the United States. Do people want this? You know, I know you mentioned it was like an enabling technology. What gets you excited about the potential once our cattle are, are virtually fenced? You bet. 
What's interesting about it is, you know, we talk about rotational grazing as a strategy for land management. This is the type of technology that can allow producers to deploy rotational grazing strategies much more effectively. So you'll hear some specific examples in the interview from Frank, but really it's about how do you get more from the land, which is a function of managing the land better. So if you think about the fact that cattle ranchers are really they're grass farmers, right? That's what that's what they are. And this is a tool that allows them to manage the pasture at a more granular level at a smaller unit rather than in some cases, you know, multiple sections per pasture. Now we're getting down to acres per pasture or even smaller if the producer wanted to. And so that's really interesting in the context, not just of improving the land, improving the grass, but also in the context of more animals per acre, right? So there's a productivity element here, which obviously has implications from a profitability standpoint, which is really interesting. But then maybe looking at it from an industry standpoint is the role that this type of technology could play in helping the U.S. to establish a grass-finished feeding segment at scale. Wait, we already have grass-fed beef, so how would that be different? <laughs> so uh, I recently had a conversation with the CEO of ButcherBox, which if you're not familiar with ButcherBox, so it's a, it's a direct-to-consumer subscription meat business. They sell meat of all the proteins with better-for-you claims is kind of the category they're playing in. So they sell grass-fed beef. When they set up ButcherBox in the United States, they went to look for what are sources of grass-fed beef in the U.S., and there just aren't enough. It's just a very small segment of the industry in the U.S. So ButcherBox instead sources grass-fed beef from Australia, New Zealand, where, you know, roughly 80, 85% of those industries are grass-fed and the remainder is grain-finished. Whereas in the U.S., we're the opposite. Only the grass-fed is an even smaller portion. So kind of there's a lot of general assumptions about why that is in the U.S., the main one being just the cost, the cost of it. The fact that, you know, if it's going to take so much longer to finish those animals, most producers don't have that grass. And so it just becomes a resource issue. When you think about this type of a technology, though, helping producers to get more from each acre, get more pounds of meat from each acre, you can see how this could really play a role in starting to unlock some additional acres, unlock additional pounds of meat per acre of grass in order to contribute to, you know, a grass-fed beef segment that could scale in the U.S. Very interesting. Yeah, not just more from each acre, but like you said, you know, more from each head where you're not having to sell them as, a, you know, feeder cattle. You could sell them as grass to finish. That's really fascinating. And actually, this fits really well with some episodes we've had lately. We just had Dr. Jonathan Lundgren talking about regenerative agriculture and talking about how where ag tech comes into play is when you work with biology and with nature. And this would be a perfect example of a technology that can do that. And it also gets back to 232 when we kind of ask the same question of if ag tech and regenerative ag are aligned. So this this really fits well with some questions that I've been asking on the show and uh, excited to dive into it. So I'm, I'm just going to drop everybody into the conversation you had uh, with Vince founder Frank Wooten. Here it is. At a high level, we are solving the problem of increasing yield and land management for cow-calf and, and cattle operators around the world. And at a low level, what we're doing is we are enabling the ability to set up animal control at a very granular level without the need for physical fences or, or manual labor. Vents is short for virtual fencing. And 
We put a collar on cattle and enable customers the ability to put up inclusion fences or exclusion fences to keep animals in or out of zones anywhere across the, the landscape of their property and to move animals from place to place without the need for anybody to actually move them or to remove fences. Okay. And before we go any further, how big of a problem is this, right? We've been putting up fences for years and years and years, <laughs> decades, right? Why, why is physical fences an insufficient solution? It's not that physical fences are an insufficient solution. It's, it's that they are a static solution to a dynamic problem, right? The land changes seasonally. The land changes annually. A riverbed changes. A river dries up. And you want the ability to manage that land and adapt your management of that land completely in, you know, in motion with what the land is telling you, all right? That's the optimal you know, nature of a cattle operation would be that you aren't forced to you know, hold cows in a particular paddock because that paddock was just established 20 years ago and we put up a ton of fencing and look, we're not going to tear it down, obviously. It's, oh, well, we're going to add up a sub fence here. And we're going to hold these animals in this particular corner because they haven't put any pressure on that area. And rather than us have to you put in a electric fence or a physical fence to do that, we can just press a button and allow it to happen. You know, the size of the problem is livestock are managed on, you know, 30 plus percent of the global landscape. And uh, there are a billion head of cattle, you know, 900 million head of sheep, 400 million head of goats, right? We're, we're talking about, you know, there are more livestock on the planet than there are cars on the road. Uh, so it's a quite a significant you know, undertaking. Absolutely. So maybe tell us a little bit more about the solution itself. So you mentioned the collar. I'm guessing this is a bit of a hardware, bit of a software play. Tell us what are all the components of the Vents offering and specifically, how does it work? The collar is the part that, that sits on the animal. What also sits on the farm you know, from a physical aspect is a tower. When we speak to a new customer, that customer gives us a map of their farm and, and we will create what we call a propagation map. So we come back to that customer and say, look, to cover this particular property, we need you know, two of these towers, for example. You know, those towers basically blanket the property with a AM radio station, for lack of a better analogy. Those collars communicate to that AM radio station back and forth. And then from there, everything goes up into the cloud. And so we collect all of the data as to where those animals are, what their movement patterns are, and we then transmit that, you know, people are able to access that via access to the internet, whether it's on their phone or, or on their computer or iPad, you're able to see, oh, my animals are exactly here. And I am going to, you know, look at what the schedule is for these animals. And so there's a platform that every user has a unique login and, and they get to pull up their exact farm and schedule their animals to you know, whatever type of management that they would like for them over a period of time. Okay. And so not to ask dumb questions, I can, but I, I, <laughs> I can dig in further there. Yeah. So yeah. Just the mechanism of how on does a that... podcast. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's, it's tough to visualize, you know, it's a lot easier with a video. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I guess my, my question is what's the mechanism by which the animal gets told, Hey, go over there, not over there. Got it. So, you know, people are, are really familiar with, you know, the invisible fence for, for dogs. And so, you know, it's, it's somewhat analogous to that, that you know, cattle can be trained and almost every producer realizes this, that they can be trained to a certain sound, right? If you, 
if you drive out with your buggy and you always have cottonseed cake, you mm-hmm. know, in, in the back of it, those cattle, when they hear the buggy go, doesn't matter how, you know, where they are, you know, the same thing can happen with an aversive stimuli. So we train animals that there is a specific sound and that sound is related to an electric stimuli, just like the invisible fence for dogs. And then all of a sudden, the difference is that an invisible fence for dog has a wire that is in the ground versus ours is based on the GPS chip. So that wire for us is an imaginary line and that line can move. We can change the speed at which that line moves. We can change you know, the direction of that line and we are able to use it to put pressure on those animals via sound. And so they'll hear a sound and they'll say, well, I've got to move. I've got to get out of this particular area. Otherwise, you know, I know that within 120 seconds, I'm going to get a stimuli. And you relieve and put pressure on animals to correctly move them from one place to another. Excellent. Talk to us about how did you even stumble on this space? What was the impetus that prompted you to move down the path of founding Vents? Yeah, my co-founder's father actually helped work with Sir Edward Gallagher on the first electric fence. He's a New Zealander whose family has run a cow and sheep operation for seven generations. And he was the first person that approached me with this concept of managing cattle. And he actually introduced me to Dean Anderson of the USDA and who's an advisor of the company who uh, really taught us about animal behavior and animal control. And that all happened now four plus years ago. So it was kind of like this early discussion and an understanding of like, is this possible? Can animal be managed in this particular way? And then since then, it's been, you know, four straight, long, hard years of, of <laughs> like figuring out what it was that actually needed to be built. And there have been lots of unexpected learnings along the way of how hard it is and, and the environmental aspects that we need to manage as it relates to cow-calf operations in Northern Montana in the winter, as well as, you know, summer in Northern Australia, where it's, you know, 140 degrees. So, you know, all of those things, I think, for me, have been actually a wonderful part of our journey. I'd say the the other thing that really has, for me personally, been the best part of this, I spent over two months of the year living with customers on their properties. There are no other industry that welcomes their you know vendors and you know really partners to the dinner and breakfast table with them on a day in and day out basis and that partnership is something that for me really is bred into our dna as a company and, and is is one of the most rewarding parts of us as a company one of the things i hear a lot especially from like large landowners let's say in the western half of the united states Innovators will bring them hardware products that they are supposed to go on the animal. And yet the expectation is that that producer is going to have cell coverage (laughs) um, across their entire property, which is rarely true, right? So how do you guys avoid that issue? I mean, you talked about, you know, the, the towers. Talk to us about how you get around that issue of just the lack of cell coverage in large swaths of, of rural America. Yeah, I think we found that exactly what you're saying very early on. I think that there's another problem associated with, you know, cell coverage on an animal is that like to have a cell coverage means if you were going to have it on each animal, you'd need to have a cell chip. Each chip is going to cost you 
know, five to 10 bucks a month in connectivity charges. Uh, so there's actually a cost structure issue that would be associated with something like that as well. The towers that we have, they are always placed in a height advantage place on farms. You know, the reason that you see cell towers be so tall is because there's this natural physics of radio signals and you know, you're trying to create a blanket of coverage. That coverage you know, comes from high up. And so we choose spots on a farm that are likely to have coverage of cellular. And we do have cases where we've used satellite backhaul, you know, satellite connectivity instead of cell coverage. But those towers are the only point that need coverage. Each collar is not communicating with anything other than that tower. They're like walkie-talkies, for lack of a better visualization. And we have, I'm going to knock on wood saying this, we, we have yet to find a farm that in the right position, we can't get some sort of cell coverage on and that we have had the ability to really plan out maps and coverage maps of farms fairly well so far. Okay, great. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about what's the value proposition and maybe describe that in whatever terms you want, whatever direction you want to take that qualitative, quantitative, what's it look like? Yeah, I mean, at a low level, we're talking about a grass factory, right? And so cattlemen's job is to translate that grass into a saleable final product, which is a calf or meat or dairy. And the increase in grass productivity is driven via managing the grass in a particular way. And it also is driven via the soil. And so one of the things that our technology enables is you know, via having very flexible and mobile fencing is the ability to rotationally graze animals with almost no limit in terms of the number of fences that you put up or the way that you want to slice and dice the property. What that allows customers to do is increase the productivity of the land. And so what we're talking about is you're creating a feed bank you know, to either have more animals on that property or to have extra feed, you know, come dormant season, rather than that producer having to, to bring in external sources of feed to support his animals through the winter. The other bucket that we sit in, you know, quite squarely is just animal management and control, right? Fencing and fencing maintenance. Uh, while people don't necessarily always itemize it as all of the costs associated with it, it is a significant percentage of producers' time that they spend and labor that they hire is built either maintaining or building new fencing. And you know, we eliminate that as a work stream on the farm. And there are things that are not necessarily you think about every day in terms of this is a cost, but if it takes you an hour to get out and find your animals, depending on how many hours you're working on your day, that, that may be 10 15% of your of your time actually, you know, your daylight time that you're actually out there is spent searching or, or monitoring, just making sure they're in the right place. All of a sudden that gets taken away, that can be allocated somewhere else. So when we think through the value proposition to customers, you know, there are probably 10 different levers that we think that we can pull, but we primarily just say, we're looking at this from a productivity standpoint, you know, of the land. And we're also looking at it at a cost reduction standpoint of the fencing. 
those are all words that producers like to hear, right? <laughs> like to hear and use. <laughs> so maybe talk to us a little bit about your customers. What's true of them? What are you finding is important to them? What are the questions they're asking that are leading them to vents? We've got two buckets of customers. We're operating in Australia as well as in the U.S. And in the U.S. in particular, our customer base is a, is a cow-calf operator. And you know they're managing a large enough piece of land that they have some external help in, in them and a large enough herd that they're doing that. So we're talking about a, you know, 200 to 1500 head you know, operation. And you know, what's leading them to us is a combo of things, you know, almost to a customer, our producers view themselves as stewards of the land. So they are constantly looking at what is the best thing for the land? How do we not just take from the land, but how do we give back to the land to keep this asset being better and, and improving over time? And so more and more on those, you know, when you get to these larger operations, you know, to do that requires additional labor and requires additional infrastructure from fencing and requires people to be very attentive to, nope, looks like the electric fence around, you know, this little riverbed was blown through, we got to go put it back up. Each of those little things helps the landscape and helps the land improve over time. And so when they're looking and they come to vents, a lot of times they're looking at it from the perspective of starting there, but it also has to rationalize with the costs. They want one thing, but they want that thing to come for free. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And so we spend a lot of time making sure that we understand exactly what the cost structure looks like for our customers and making sure that we that we are giving them something that is materially better than what they have currently and that it it is cost justified. Right. So maybe just linking that concept then back to what you were just describing in the value proposition of increasing the productivity of the land. So you know, there are places where we're talking a lot of acres per animal, right? In order to support that animal. Give us a just a, a sense of the magnitude of how much a producer can improve the productivity of the land by using vents, by increasing rotational grazing. Are we going from one to, to 10 animals per unit? Are we going from one to a hundred, one to five? What what does that look like? What could that look like from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, as any producer listening will will know right off the bat, right? Like mother nature's not like, you know, some software platform. She takes her time and, you know, each year is a little bit different. And when, when we look at productivity increases, a good example was like, we had a customer, he owned his property for 50 years and had put up over those 50 years, the equivalent of 30-ish miles of fencing to, to subdivide the property from you know, four paddocks into about 30 pastures. And within six months, he had put up the equivalent of 40 miles of virtual fencing, you know, just via clicking and creating new fences and moving animals from one area to another. What that mm-hmm. enables him to do on the back half of the year is eliminate his feed costs over winter. And so you know, for him, it isn't necessarily like, hey, we're drastically changing the number of animals on a per acre basis, but we're eliminating a major cost as it relates to our operation you know, in the dormant season. When you look at areas and you're in Arizona, right? Like you're not wanting to turn that area into, you know, an irrigated landscape or something like New Zealand where you're putting 20 animals per acre, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, instead of 
looking at it where you're pushing the land because the land just won't support the animals to do that. You're trying over time to increase that, obviously, and decrease what the acreage is needed for animals. But you have to allow vegetation and mother nature to catch up to do that. And so we do think that there's a process there. You can subdivide the land as much as you want, but that land isn't going to turn around the next day. You'll be pumping out grass for you in, in the middle of a drought in Arizona, right? So the key is each landscape has a little bit of a different response and, and, and different productivity gains. But you know, in your landscape in Arizona, just to continue on that that example, your fencing required on a per acre basis, on a per animal basis, is extremely high, just given the productive quality of the soil and the land there. And so you end up with, okay, well, we may not be increasing you know, as dramatically the headcount on a per, you know, acre basis, but we are reducing our expense structure associated with that intensification really dramatically because of the amount of fencing we need to manage those animals. One related question here is vents, super cool. Um, good stuff here. Not the first virtual fencing company though. So talk to us about <laughs> how is Vince different from other virtual fencing companies that either are on the market today or have already come and gone? So I think that one of the things that often gets lost here is we will be, you know, the largest virtual fencing company in terms of number of animals managed by a a decent percentage, you know, this year. And we still have less than a decimal point of the entire industry being managed. And so when people are looking out there at the industry, if you're looking to get interested in it, look at all the solutions, but realize that like, one doesn't need to be dramatically better than the other. They could all be the same right now and they still have no penetration. We view, we view ourselves as different. We come from a, a very communications-driven background. All of the ways that we have built the product have been based on you know, kind of two high-level beliefs. One is we have spent an extreme amount of time trying to understand the economics of a cow-calf operation and, and of producers. And that has driven us to make a ton of decisions at the product level that are focused on keeping costs down and focused on making sure that we enable our customers to get the return on the product. From a communication standpoint, exactly what you asked earlier, right? Like, how are you able to do this in these areas without cellular? Well, you know, cellular was kicked out of the equation by us even before knowing that every farm didn't necessarily have coverage because of the cost. And so our team comes from this communications background and they've built a extremely reliable, but extremely cheap communications platform to connect to those animal devices. And that's an area where we, we really, I would say, shine and excel as a team and where we've spent a lot of our time and energy. The other areas that we have focused on in, in areas of differentiation is we're going to market as a, as a service instead of selling hardware. We, we understand that a lot of customers have a shed of devices and technologies that have been sold to them that uh, are either no longer applicable or no longer work you know, a year or two in. And so there, there's a lot of resistance and a lot of concern when you go to them and you tell them you're selling the next fancy thing. The way that we sell our product to customers is that we Tell them, look, it's a service. If the service isn't working for you, you shut it down. You don't have to you know, buy all the devices up front. And in doing so, 
we try and help customers understand that we're in this for the long run with them as well. We're not making money off those collars in day one or even year one or year two for that matter. It's a long-term business relationship that we're looking to have and establish with customers. And I think it's, it's resonated pretty well throughout the industry. Well, I think that's a great note to end on of just highlighting that kind of all the great things about the cattle industry that we love and the the culture and the people there, but then also bringing in that curiosity from a tech perspective. I'm excited about what Vince is going to do, how this technology can support producers as they're, you know, in those constant efforts towards increasing productivity, reducing cost structure. So Frank, thanks so much for taking the time to share the Vince story with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for, for having me on. I appreciate it. Wow, Jeanette, what an interesting innovation, I think. I was listening and at first, you know, my mind goes to why didn't anyone else think of that? And then my mind went to, well, like, oh, well, how could this possibly work with the connectivity issues that exist on most of America's ranch land? And I was shocked to hear that they have kind of found a way around it, that it hasn't been an issue for them. But I think, you know, assuming that that is the case, which you said it was, I don't see why this wouldn't be something a cow-calf operator would want to try out. So really interesting. Thanks for bringing the story, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. What's something that you're thinking about as a result of a takeaway from this interview? One thing that strikes me about the Vents story is that this is a founder that is coming from outside the industry. And perhaps most notably, this is a founder that's approaching this problem from a communications infrastructure standpoint, right? And they're they're building an engineering heavy team. They're solving this problem from a communications infrastructure perspective. And yet, listening to Frank, you can tell he speaks about the business of cow-calf production, the business of ranching. You know, he speaks about that as someone who is very, very knowledgeable and familiar with the financial challenges that those producers face. And so, it's just a really interesting example to me of how Number one, bringing in fresh outside eyes from the industry to solve big problems can be really effective. But number two, when those fresh outside eyes bring a new lens on the problem that they can apply, I think that's when you get to really cool solutions like this that you know have the potential to solve a problem in a completely new way, but really pulling technology, pulling insights from other industries where a lot of these problems have already been solved. Right. Yeah, I do think that is a, a unique combination. And obviously, there's no one mold for a successful entrepreneur. But that certainly is one that can be leveraged quite well when you are, first of all, coming from an outside looking in, but also approaching it through the lens of like someone who genuinely wants to learn. So you can pull connections from outside, but you're not coming in with all the answers. You're kind of connecting them to uh, real curiosity and empathy. So he's a great example of that. Very cool, Jeanette. Thank you so much for, for bringing this story to the podcast. Thanks, Tim. Hey, if you like to know about new ag technologies and products as they come out, you should join my email newsletter. It's at www.futureofag.com. And the only thing you should do before you go do that is join Jeanette's newsletter at primefuture.substack.com. Both of us are sending out emails weekly. They're with different topics, and I think you'll get a lot of extra value from those. In my case, if you go to futureofag.com, you'll see an email icon right there in the center of the page. Just click on it, give me your address, and we'll start communicating weekly. Likewise with Jeanette's, uh, just go to primefuture.substack.com. As always, thanks so much for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Ag innovation.